Pittsburgh Steelers fans, it is time once again for the pregame show. Here we go from BehindTheSteelCurtain.com. My name is Brian Anthony Davis, the podcast producer with one of the best in the game at breaking down film. It's coach Kevin Smith. KT, what is going on? Brian, how are you? Getting excited for a little Monday night football. Yeah, you know what? Now, if you're like me, when you were a kid, Monday night football was the greatest thing ever because I was allowed to stay up a little bit and watch the game. And then I'd sneak out and watch the second half or, you know, I'd find out really, I would try to find it on the radio and static in the eighties. That was really tough. But now these days, Monday night football is not my favorite. Yeah, I know we're old, you know, like we got to go to work in the morning, but like, yeah, I remember, uh, so vividly the the theme you know the dun 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 and then Howard Cosell would come in the Pittsburgh Steelers you know and you you just get so excited uh to hear like that voice and that theme song that was you know, some of like my earliest best memories of football yeah absolutely and when the Steelers had a Monday night game you were like yes because you felt like oh they've made it you know <laughs> and they were all they were four-time champions at that point but and you know Tony Duffy and I do the we do the retro show and it's great to watch all those old Steeler Monday night football games. And we've been watching a few of them and Howard was like, no other man. He would, if he thought a trade was bad or a player sucked, he would say it. <laughs> it was, it was well, incredible journalism. Those guys didn't have, you know, their, uh, their corporate overlords uh, <laughs> to worry about. They were, they had a much longer lease for sure. And uh, you know, it was probably, it was probably you know, like the golden age, really, of being a journalist in that sense, because you really did have the freedom to sort of express opinions, whether they were uh, controversial or not. You know, so uh, we're a long way from there for sure. Well, definitely. So, hey, I want to go ahead and talk about uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Chicago Bears. But first, we've got to talk about we do this from time to time. We talk about our high school football teams. Uh, you, the coach of Ocean City in New Jersey, the Red Raiders. How are they doing? We're rolling, Brian. We're, we're 10 and 0. Uh, second time in school history we've been 10 and 0. And we're, uh, we won our, our first playoff game on Friday night. We actually defeated our arch rival. We, we happened to draw them in the playoffs. And they're, they're the school like right across the bridge from us. So like, And, and it's actually the, my alma mater where I went. And uh, we beat them in the playoffs. So as you can imagine, that was a, a pretty cool scene. You know, the stands were packed and it was loud and all that. So now we're moving on to the, to the second round. And, um, you know, it's just it's, it's an exciting time for sure. Who's your alma mater? Is it mainland? Is it midland? Mainland. That's, yeah, that's that's correct. That's impressive. So, wow, I remember that. <laughs> How about yeah. that? Uh, you know, speaking of alma maters, my alma mater, Richland High School in Johnstown, PA, they won their game over South Huntington, which was a, uh, I believe, a, uh, a sectional or a divisional playoff game. So they're moving on as well. So a shout out to uh, Brandon Bailey and that team as well, because, uh, hey, you don't forget the team you grew up with. So just wanted to shout out to the Rams as well. But let's talk about Steelers. Let's talk about Bears. Wow. This is an interesting game, Kevin, because the Bears have lost three straight. They're not looking too great. They've got a rookie quarterback, but they've got a running game that's pretty tough. So let's look at the rankings here. If you look at offense, Chicago, not a high-powered offense unless you look at their running game, which is ranked sixth in the league at 136.6. 
there's a possibility now they're looking at the fact that David Montgomery is most likely going to play in this game. They also have rookie Khalil Herbert. When you see some rankings on rookie running backs, they're talking about Herbert over Najee Harris, which Najee has the stats. He has the touch. He has everything over this guy. But still, for some reason, people are disrespecting what Najee Harris is doing. So that's something I wanted to bring up. What, what do you think about Herbert versus Harris? I don't know much about Herbert other than some of, some of the film I watched while while trying to get ready for the podcast and, and the game in general. Um, I can't understand. I don't yeah, I don't want to say all oh, the lack of respect because that sounds so dramatic, but I can't understand why Harris has been devalued by a lot of the national media. I, the site ran uh, BTSC ran an article this week where I don't know, some guy was had his, his 10 biggest impact rookies and Pat Fryermuth was on the list, but Najee Harris was not on the list. I mean, Najee Harris is Pittsburgh's offensive MVP right now. You're talking about a Steelers team that's four and three uh, in the thick of the playoff race, an extremely young team that has leaned incredibly heavily on its rookie running back. And he's been tremendous. You know, he's, he's been tremendous. He's had to overcome the fact that the Steelers are a work in progress on their offensive line. We, we know all these things. I don't know. I don't know why the national media has not uh, recognized how valuable he's been to Pittsburgh and how without him, the Steelers would really be. I mean, no disrespect to Benny Snell, but can you imagine the Pittsburgh offense with, you know, last year's group of running backs in the mix as opposed to Harris? It's just it's just uh, hard to understand. They are on a six game losing streak, probably without Najee Harris. I can honestly say that maybe get one one win in there possibly but here's the problem if you go ahead and you draft a big offensive tackle at that spot for the pittsburgh steelers you know what happens you end up kevin you end up with no running game whatsoever because benny snell kalen balage like you said they are not breaking the tackles. They are not taking a four-yard loss and making it a one-yard one gain, which is a huge deal, and that's what Najee is doing. Now, you look at the last three games for the Steelers, and the Steelers are ranked 28th with 86.0 yards a game. So they're, they're rushing 50 less yards a game than the Chicago Bears, but it's come together the last three games when they are – averaging 127 yards on the ground the last three games and they're ranked 11th the last three games so a couple of weeks ago we were talking about a team that was ranked 32nd and now they're ranked 28th doesn't matter what that rank where that rank is just the fact that it keeps moving up and i like those last that last three game ranking which means that everything's coming together like you said yeah the steelers are a different team now than they were in, in mid-september there's no doubt about that and yeah, you kind of have to take the, those rankings with a grain of, of salt as a result. Hey, just to go back to a point you were making a minute ago about drafting a big offensive lineman. It's interesting. Obviously, injuries are things that are hard to project. And, you know, you can't really you can't really draft with any certainty about a player's health. Uh, but there was a lot of talk in Pittsburgh about taking a big offensive tackle in the first round. And a lot of people really wanted the Steelers, too. And I think the reason the Steelers didn't was because. They obviously loved Harris and they felt they needed 
to draft the best back in the in the draft. But I also think that they felt like there wasn't a, an offensive tackle worthy of taking in that spot. And one name that got floated was Tevin Jenkins, the big brawler from Oklahoma State. who was a big physical kid that everybody you know, looked at his physicality and said, oh, he'd be a great match for what the Steelers line needs. Well, he wound up going to the Bears in the second round. And, and you know, Chicago is very excited about him. He hasn't played a snap for them. He's he he missed almost all the training camp and, and he hasn't hasn't played at all in the regular season because of a back injury. So I'm not saying that that's a reason why the Steelers shouldn't have taken an offensive lineman. Again, injuries are what they are and difficult to to predict. But it certainly hasn't worked out right now for, in this season with the Bears and Jenkins and uh, the Steelers. You know, obviously made a great move by taking Harris. You know what? I would have loved to have known what would have happened if the Vikings did not select the kid Darisaw from Virginia Tech, who was who was I mean, he was highly ranked. He was at number 23 and then the Steelers pick next at 24 and they go with Najee Harris. So, wow. Would have that changed things? We'll never know. But I'm really happy with number 22 in Pittsburgh. Darisaw, by the way, has been great in Minnesota. He's been great. So he, he's the kind of he's the one guy, I think, uh, of that offensive line class that right now is like jumping out. And uh, I haven't seen Panay Sewell play at all. Uh, I know he's starting up in Detroit, but but Darisol's been really good. We're going to see him pretty soon uh, when we play Minnesota. And we'll see Sewell next week as well. When right. The Steelers play Detroit. So really interesting stuff there, you know. It's great that Darisaw is doing well, but it's also great that the Steelers did not have to choose between Darisaw and Harris. So that's another thing. So let's go ahead and look at the rest of the offense here. Chicago is ranked 32nd in total yards per game at 264. So they're, I mean, man, they are just definitely not an offensive team. Passing 127.4. That's ranked. 32nd as well now you do have the luxury with a guy like justin fields that he's adding to that running game that's ranked sixth but passing they're not passing well and they're my gosh then the next highest team is probably 70 80 yards ahead at number 31 and that's the new orleans saints so the chicago is they're not a passing threat whatsoever Points per game, they're ranked 31st, only getting 15.4 per game. If you look at the Steelers, they're ranked 24th in total offense at 330.4 yards a game. We talked about the 28th ranking for rushing. They're 17th at passing, 244.4 yards a game. And they're 26th with 18.9 points per game as well on offense. If you look at the defensive side of the ball, a little bit better for both teams. The Bears are ranked 14th of total defense. The Steelers 11th against the Rush, which this is going to be interesting because you have the sixth ranked rushing team. You have the 12th ranked rushing defense, only allowing 106 yards per game in the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Bears, they're ranked 24th at 125. The last three games, the Steelers, well, like we said before, are getting 127. So really interesting stuff there. 322.5 yards per game on defense given up against the pass that's 11th the Steelers are 13th against the pass not too bad there but 13th going against 32 in passing that's interesting and as 
as far as giving up points per game, Chicago has given up 24.4. The Steelers are given up 20.3, ranked 20th, and the Steelers ranked 7th. So what does that tell you about the way that this game could go? It's There are advantages for the Steelers almost everywhere across the board. Yeah. So I'll, I'll throw out another stat real quick since we're talking numbers. The Bears are – the worst team in the league at protecting the quarterback. They've given up 30 sacks this year, 30 sacks. Uh, that's a huge number. Uh, a, a couple of weeks ago when, when they played Cleveland, Justin Fields was hit 15 times on 27 dropbacks. That's a horrendous number. He was sacked nine times and hit 15 times on 27 dropbacks. That's a horrendous number. They've not been able to keep him clean in the pocket uh, he, you know, last, last week he had a spectacular highlight real touchdown where he kind of ran in and around, you know, the 49ers defense for a 22 yard touchdown run, but it looked like somebody fleeing a burning building. You know, he, it was not like a healthy 22 yard touchdown run. He was running for his life. So while Cle while, um, Chicago can't throw the ball, a big reason why they can't throw it is because they can't keep their quarterback clean and that's going to be a huge challenge their best lineman is jason peters he's 39 years old man jason peters uh, i hate to say guys are washed up because that sounds so cruel because you know jason peters is a was a perennial pro bowler when he was in his prime but a couple years ago the, the the eagles let him go a few years ago because they just didn't feel like he could do it anymore and he's now 39 years old and and the left tackle in chicago and that doesn't bode well for fields so if you're Chicago, the recipe for Monday night is run the football, run the football, run the football, and then try to get fields out on some play actions and bootlegs, move the pocket. Because if they, if they put him in the pocket and expect to protect him, they're going to set him up for failure. He doesn't have dynamic weapons at receiver. Allen Robinson's a nice, a nice target, but not a, a, a game breaker. And uh, the Steelers pass rush is coming on, man. The Steelers are averaging uh, four sacks a game over the last four weeks. TJ Watts healthy again. So if you're Chicago, you got to be really leery about just how you're going to be able to protect fields. And the best way they do it, I think, is, is with the run game. You might see him load up on some tight ends. So old friend Jesse James is in Chicago and Cole Komet's a nice, a nice player. So you might see him go some heavy personnel and just really trying to hammer it at the Steelers. You know, that's interesting that you say that. And there's so many things that I have gleaned off of uh, what you just mentioned in that entire uh, in that entire discussion. First of all, I prefer PHP past his prime. So that's uh, that sounds so much better than washed up for a yeah. guy like Peters. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, it's time to get on with your life's work pretty soon. But it's great that at 39, you're still getting an opportunity to do it. As far as our old friend, Jesse James, Jesse James caught that ball, by the way. Um, Jesse James is doing great things with Justin Fields. We had an opportunity to talk to uh, Joey Christopoulos, who is from Believe, Believe It Sports, uh, Believe in Bears, and on the Believe Network. And his wife is from Pittsburgh, so she's a big fan of the uh, pregame shows. He was telling us he, she's a big BTSC fan, so it was great to have him on the other day. And he was talking about how well Jesse James and Justin Fields have uh, worked together. So that's a guy to look out for when you're when you're trying to stop this team on offense because Allen Robinson is not a, a big threat anymore. He's nice to have, but you can key on him definitely. He was talking about on the other side when 
it's going to be a disaster. He's really worried about uh, what could happen with this team in this game if the, the Bears cannot run the ball. So I thought that was very interesting as well. As far as uh, stopping this team, yeah, you've got to stop the run. And that makes me think of one guy that is really heating up for the Steelers. And we're going to talk about him right after this on the Steelers pregame show. We're going to go to commercial. Here we go. We're getting ready for the Bears. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Here We Go, the Steelers pregame show. I am Brian Anthony Davis. Alongside me, as always, is my co-host, KT Smith. Love his analysis. I tell you what, I take his stuff to the bank every single week when I'm watching the game. So I get the luxury of getting to talk to this guy. Kevin, thanks so much for joining me once again. Yeah, absolutely, Brian. Having fun. So let's talk about stopping the rush, stopping David Montgomery, stopping Khalil Herbert. A guy that has really come along in the last couple of weeks quietly, who is becoming, he's not going to be your defensive MVP, but I don't think you live without Chris Wormley. Yeah, I thought that Wormley was kind of uh, out of position a little bit because of necessity. Uh, you know, he's not the biggest guy in the world. They got him listed at 6'5, 295. I, I'll be honest, I don't think he looks, you know, he don't look 295 to me. And I thought that there were times earlier in the season where he, was asked to sort of, you know, play two gaps and, and do some things that maybe he, he wasn't qualified. I shouldn't say qualified, but but physically just wasn't the best matchup for him. But last week in that big win in Cleveland, he played a heck of a football game, as did the entire front seven, just to really limit that Cleveland rushing attack. And uh, you're right, with all the injuries up front, uh, Alo Alo and Tua gone, he's been a, a, an unsung hero for the Steelers. Who's, who, like the rest of the team, has just gotten better as the season has gone along. How did the Steelers' defense stop Nick Chubb and Dearness Johnson last week? Now, they uh, they still gave up about 100 yards to the Cleveland Browns' offense, but that's phenomenal when you talk about the fact that this is the number one rushing team in the league. I think they – and they're still number one after that performance. So, you know, a, a bad performance and they're still ranked high, that's a big deal. I believe they – held them about 75 yards under their average last week. How'd they pull that off? Well, they pulled it off with a huge assist to the Cleveland Browns, who for some reason decided that despite the fact that Baker Mayfield was playing with a partially torn labrum, and despite the fact that they were the number one rush defense uh, in the NFL, and that Seattle had gashed the Steelers in the second half the week before, Cleveland decided they wanted to throw the football. What did they run it, 20 times last week? I think it was something along those lines. That's, in, that's incredible. I mean, I am baffled when I think back about that as to, as to that game plan that they that they chose. But obviously the Steelers contributed. And I think I think because of some of the looks that the Steelers presented Cleveland, that the that uh, the Browns thought that they had, you know, opportunities to throw the football. I think that they felt like 
they had some things that Pittsburgh was doing and uh, down the field, and the Steelers played great in the secondary as a result. Indeed, they did stop the run, Kevin, and they also did stop the pass, which, like you mentioned, that the Browns were hell-bent on doing. So if you look at this, the Steelers have received a lot of, I don't really want to call it criticism, but it's the narrative's been that the Browns, we're dropping so many passes that they gave that game to the Steelers. And my assertion has always been that when you have drop passes, the defense helps force drop passes. What are your thoughts? I don't, uh, I don't like ever attributing a, a, a win to somebody else's failure, as opposed to, you know, the, the victorious team's success. Obviously, you put pressure on teams and you force them to make plays. If they make them, you know, you give them credit for doing so, but if not, you can't simply discredit your own effort by saying, Oh, well, they should have made those plays. Oftentimes you say to yourself, let's get a certain player isolated or let's force a certain player to make plays. Obviously the Steelers went into that Cleveland game saying, let's force them to execute in the passing game because obviously they've got a great rushing attack and we don't feel they can beat us throwing the football. So let's make them beat us. So when Cleveland doesn't beat you throwing the football, you can't say, Oh, well, that's a, you know, the only reason the Steelers won is because Cleveland gave, you know, gave it away because they didn't execute in the passing game. That's not true. I mean, this, what the Steelers did is they, is they took away the Browns strength and made the Browns beat you with plan B. And that's just good coaching and good execution if if you know if i'm game planning for uh you know our high school team or whatever i mean i know that going into the game we want to make our opponent do uh the thing that they're least comfortable doing the team we just played in the playoffs they've got a division one running back who's got offers from west virginia and syracuse etc cetera, etc cetera. and going into the game the plan was you know we're going to make them beat us with something else and, and we did. That kid got loose for a 52-yard touchdown run, and the rest of the game had less than 40 yards rushing. And, you know, we held them to seven points because they couldn't do the other thing, whatever that other thing might be. And the Steelers did the same thing against the Browns. So I don't like the argument that, like, Cleveland gave it away. What Pittsburgh did is they forced Cleveland to, uh, you know, execute with their weakness, and Cleveland couldn't do it. Thank you, because that drives me crazy, too. Let's talk about putting four quarters together. It seems like for the first time this season, the Steelers put together a great four quarters of play in the very same day. Now that's the key going forward. Do the bears seem like the team that the Steelers can definitely get right on, even though they've won three games. But what I say is put together a dominating game, a la a, a Carolina Panthers win from about three years back on Thursday night football, that prime time and your color rush, just, you know, get to the point where you're dominant and you're definitely right. And people are like, ah, oh, do we underestimate the Steelers Chicago, that team? Well, sometimes games like that, that Carolina game get at, they just get away from a, a young team. You get turnovers and, and uh, some big plays that I remember the Steelers hit some big plays in that game. And that, and, and suddenly a, a tight game becomes a blowout in a hurry. I don't know if this Steelers team is built like that just sim simply because of their youth. With, with all these young guys, you're going to have some mistakes. You're going to have self-inflicted wounds. There's going to be times when, you, when a big play gets called back because of a penalty, something along those lines. 
And Chicago is going to probably have a very conservative approach uh, and try and eat some clock with their run game. So this doesn't feel like a blowout type game to me. You know, I, I just feel as though this is a game where the Steelers who are getting better each week are going to be the better team. And I think they'll win, but it doesn't feel like a blowout simply because I don't think that the Steelers are really built that way right now. On offense, we know all about the rookie Justin Fields. Is that the guy that's going to keep you awake at night or is there somebody else we're missing here? I don't know if there is somebody else that, that, that the, we're missing. I mean, that, that protecting fields has got to be the absolute most important thing for Chicago. If they can't do that, then they're just going in for a long day. They got a nice little slot receiver named Darnell Mooney, who leads the team in catches. And, uh, and he's been, he's been sneaky good, but the Steelers have been pretty good this year, uh, covering up tight ends and slot receivers. They really have been that pretty good that, that way the last couple of years. So for Chicago, Again, I, th- I just think it's a conservative game plan built around the run game, finding a way to keep fields clean, maybe keeping an extra tight end or running back in and trying to hit the Steelers in play action. I think the Steelers have to keep, you know, keep Cleveland or keep Chicago from, from big plays. They got to keep the receivers in front of them, make the Bears drive the length of the field. They've proven that that's something that they struggle with, with all the sacks that they give up and with the young quarterback there, unless if Chicago hits big plays, the Steelers are letting them off the hook. They got to make them drive the field and execute their offense for 70, 80 yards. Is Chicago a team that could, could adjust to, uh, you know, early adversity in this game, or are they a team that if you game plan, I'm talking about the Steelers game plan for them and know how to shut them down and they execute it, that there's no coming back. Yeah, I don't, they're not built to come back, really, because of the lack of a downfield passing game right now. And as far as adjustments go, I remember I read a quote from Miles Garrett after Cleveland sacked Fields nine times. And Miles Garrett said, after the second series of the game, we'd figured out the protections and they didn't change them all game long. And we just teed off after that. And that just tells you that the Bears didn't make the adjustments that they needed. So are, is their offensive staff capable of adjusting if the Steelers start to put it on them or, or take away some of the things that they're doing? Um, the Cleveland game would suggest that maybe not. Miles Garrett had, what, five sacks in that game? <laughs> is that something? Yeah, something like that, yeah. He, and, and he still trails T.J. Watt, if I'm not mistaken. So that's, that's absolutely amazing um, what Watt has been doing. So imagine what great minds like and i consider these guys great minds like watt and hayward can do against this offensive line against a rookie quarterback so i'm excited to see what could happen but with that being said are steeler fans letting themselves uh could they be let down in this game how did the how do the steelers not execute in this game what would have to happen for them to blow this on defense when we've seen the Steelers lose games to weaker opponents or, or lose games that they're, you know, we, we expected them to win, it's often because of poor execution. And I, I can't get into the mindset of, a, of, of an individual. Sometimes we say, oh, well, they just, you know, they, they, they overlooked a, a lesser opponent. And, th- and maybe that's true. It's hard to, hard to judge that. But one thing we can look at is execution. And when we think back to some of those upset losses, it's often been drop passes, interceptions or turnovers, shoddy tackling, giving up big plays, you know, uh, poor execution on special teams. So from an execution standpoint, if the Steelers don't play a, a sharp game, they're going to struggle. They're not good enough 
to to play their B game and and beat anybody in the NFL. They need to they need to play well, which they've done the last three weeks, which is which is great. You know, and we've seen instances, at least in those uh, those two earlier wins where they didn't play a full 60 minutes and it almost caught up to them. I think the one thing that I, I like about this game is obviously we've talked about this, the advantages the Steelers defense has over the Chicago offense. But when you flip it around, I mean, Khalil Mack's not playing for Chicago. He's out with a foot injury and that's huge. I mean, he's a, he's a, he's the TJ Watt of Chicago's defense. And then I, you know, Chicago's got a, a starting corner named, named Kendall Vildor. I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name correctly, but um, that guy's been picked on bad this year. I mean, opposing quarterbacks are 25 for 35 throwing at him for over 400 yards with four touchdowns. And there's not really a better option for the bears in the secondary. So they've got a pretty good corner in Jalen Johnson, but just when the Steelers flank chase Claypool and Deontay Johnson wide, you got to cover one of those guys with, with Vildor. So I think the Steelers are going to want to run the ball, but there's going to be opportunities for them in the passing game with the corner situation and, and without Khalil Mack. So I, I'm looking, I, I suspect that the Steelers will be pretty good on offense as well. So on defense, they are also missing another guy that nobody's really talking about right now. And it's safety Eddie Jackson, because I always seem to see this guy showing up when you're watching highlights of the bears and him not being in that game is also a big deal as well. But the one guy that they do have remaining that Joey Christopoulos said the other day that Roquan Smith is becoming more of a focal point of the defense than actually Khalil Mack. Khalil, Khalil Mack is still the man, but Roquan, Roquan Smith in the middle, he was a big number one pick back in 2018 and the Steelers had their eye on him as well. But those four linebackers, you know, they did not last. They did not get there to Pittsburgh. So they went with Terrell Edmonds. But with that being said, Roquan Smith, how dangerous is this guy? Well, he's just a a prototypical middle linebacker in that he goes sideline to sideline and he sees the he sees the, the the gaps and and is able to fill them instinctually and has just got that burst and is a great tackler. So obviously the Steelers need to cover him up. Uh, they I think that they can offset his impact with some of the uh, shifts and motions that Can- Matt Canada has brought to the offense. He's the kind of guy that you don't want him going downhill. You don't want him getting quick reads because of his explosiveness and his ability to diagnose. So jet motions and orbit motions and myriad shifts that make him really, really think and have to have to move laterally, you know, and not, and not be as much of a downhill player, I think is a, is a nice way to combat his effectiveness. Is this the week the Steelers just break out and surpass 30 points? No, I don't. I don't know if we're ready for an offensive explosion. It's it's sort of been like slow and steady wins the race with the Steelers' offense. They're getting better each week, but we're not seeing like huge leaps forward because again, with four rookies on the offense, these guys are they need reps. They just need reps and consistency. The more reps they get, and the more consistent things are, the better they're going to get. But that's not the type of progress that usually results in offensive explosions. If, if Cleveland blows some coverages and they turn the ball over three times, 
uh, in the first half. We get some strip sacks that give us some, you know, great field position. All those things I think could contribute to a 30 plus point performance from the Steelers. But I don't think it's going to be a, a night where the Steelers just go up and down the field on offense against the Chicago defense. One last thing to ask the Steelers only have two interceptions on the year. Why is that? Why is that? That's a good question. Um, <laughs> I, well, part of it is playing man coverage. It's, it's hard to get interceptions in, in, in man coverage. And the Steelers played a good amount of man coverage earlier uh, in the season. I think back to that Buffalo game when they were in nickel and dime and, you know, giving Josh Allen like every look that you could possibly think of, but a lot of it was disguising their man coverages. And so, you know, I mean, the reason that you don't get as many interceptions in man coverage is because your back is to the ball oftentimes when you're when you're covering a receiver as opposed to zone where you sort of see things unfold. Uh, I don't know. You know, I they played some decent quarterbacks uh, who have been who have been pretty solid with the football. But this is the, this is the week to get it, man. I mean, Justin Fields has seven interceptions in 158 pass attempts. And if if you kind of prorate that over the course of a season where maybe you have 500 to 600 pass attempts, you're talking about. 24, 25 interceptions. So the pressure that he's been receiving from defensive fronts has caused him to be careless with the football at times. So this could be a week where the Steelers do generate some picks. All right. If they do that, what is your prediction for a score in this game? So I, I'm going to go, I think it'll be, you know, a tight game um, because I, I don't think the Steelers are, are a, a blow them out team, but you probably know the statistic, Brian, right? Do you know when's the last time the Steelers lost at home on Monday Night Football? Oh, I, uh, gosh, I cannot tell you. Okay, I, I was, I was convinced that you had that one. Um, hmm. You know, if I thought about it, I could probably. Gosh, I think I remember 1991 losing to the uh, New York Giants, but I'm sure that they've lost at home on Monday Night since then. They but, have not. They have not. You are correct, sir. Really? They haven't lost at home on Monday Night Football since 1991. And they almost won that game. Yeah, that was the Neil O'Donnell game, right? That, yep. that was the game Neil O'Donnell emerged. And I can remember being in the kitchen of my parents' house, living with my parents. And I was in college watching that game and being like, this Neil O'Donnell guy is awesome. I can't wait for him to be the quarterback. <laughs> I could tell wow, you exactly wow. where I was too. I was pledging a fraternity at the time and we were doing something that I couldn't focus on the game like I wanted to, but uh, I snuck away a little bit to watch what I could. And, and uh, it was just a heartbreaker that they ended up losing that game. But that's a, uh, that was uh, the beginning of the end of the Chuck Noll era as well. So yeah. it was really interesting. So, you know, because that's the last one I remember. So, yeah, I, I rem wow, I remember some road losses on Monday Night Football, but so it's been 30 years. So yeah, it's a kind of incredible statistic. So well, with that, let's you know, keep with that, that going. That in mind, yeah, I'm, I'm you know, I, I I'm gonna go, you know, 24-17 Steelers. I'm looking for a breakout with points. I'm looking for a Carolina type game. I'm not talking in the 50s or anything like that, but I'm just saying 30 to 16. It'd be nice to get 30. That's a good, you know, it's just uh, just from a confidence standpoint to hit 30 is kind of a big deal for y'all. Well, thank you so much, Kevin. I really appreciate all of your insight here on this game. So let's get that terrible towel. Let's start rooting for Kevin Smith. My name is Brian Anthony Davis. This has been Here We Go, the Steelers pregame show from BehindTheSteelCurtain.com, your one-stop shop 
for all of your Pittsburgh Steeler needs. If you like this show, check out all of the other shows. We've got 25 plus original shows every single week on this network. Also on the editorial side, you could read some great articles by our very own KT Smith, Jeff Hartman, Andrew Wilbar, Dave Schofield, the list goes on and on with Tony Defio and Jeffrey Benedict and Michael Beck. And I throw in my two cents, but with that being said, here we go. Let's go Steelers. <laughs>